You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Hey, Whole Vineyard Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm privileged and honored to be sharing our final message in the book of Jonah. I've titled this message, The Unanswered Question. I don't know if you are a film fan. I'm a massive film fan. I studied film studies at university. And I know what you're thinking. Don't think that. I had a lot of fun watching films. And uh, one of my favorite kind of films are films that have a twist. Now, if you like those kind of films, films where you get to the end and you're like, I did not see that coming. What on earth has just happened? How does this make any sense? Where well, it blows your mind or it's confusing or it just throws something out there which changes everything. Jonah is kind of like one of those films. Today, I'm going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. And if you're new to the story of Jonah, you've just joined us. It's great to have you. Let me give you a quick recap of where we've come from and explain why chapter 4 is so startling and interesting. Jonah chapter 1, the Lord God gives the prophet Jonah a message to take to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh and the Ninevites have been doing some very bad things. God calls them evil and wants them to come back. But Jonah isn't a big fan of that. He actually runs in the opposite direction. He gets on a boat and he flees from God. He decides to do his own thing and runs away. God is kind of like the, the great orchestrator of this story, moving the chess pieces. And Jonah gets on a boat. God sends a storm. Jonah gets thrown overboard and, and gets swallowed by a big fish. In Jonah chapter 2, we see his prayer of returning as he lies in the belly of this fish for three days. And ultimately, he comes to a place of, okay, God, your will be done. I submit, I surrender, I'm back. Uh, it's that prayer of returning. And Jonah chapter 3, we see him fulfill his mission. He goes to the city of Nineveh. He preaches a really simple message and we see God do remarkable things. The whole nation repents and returns to God. It is incredible. And you would think that chapter three is where the story should finish. The city has come back to God. Jonah must be delighted. He must be over the moon. He has been part of a move of God. And yet we come to chapter four. And things are really not that simple. Let's jump in. If you've got a Bible, turn to Jonah chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, go to your nearest hotel room. Second drawer on the right, steal yourself a Gideon. Um, no, you can't go to hotel rooms right now. Um, but grab a Bible and uh, the words will come up on the screen. Let's jump in. Chapter one, Jonah, however, right after seeing revival, right after being part of a move of God and seeing a nation come back after he's preached, most preachers would be delighted to be part of that. Jonah, however, was greatly displeased, and he became angry. The word in the original language for angry there literally means he was absolutely furious. What a bizarre response to a move of God. What a strange way to start. What's going on here? Verse 2 goes on to say this, so he prayed to the Lord, saying, O oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I was so quick to flee toward Tarshish. 
I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion, one who relents from sending disaster. Verse 3, and now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That is a pretty emotional response to a successful ministry trip. What's going on here? Why is Jonah so angry? Well, at the root of Jonah's anger is the fact that God has given mercy and shown great compassion to a nation that didn't deserve it. God has stayed his hand. God had been kind. God had been loving. God had been gracious. God had been merciful to an evil people. And Jonah did not think they deserved it. In that passage, Jonah kind of reels off this list of, this kind of sarcastically reels off a list of God's characteristics that God um, spoke to Moses earlier on in the New Testament. And he's like, God, I knew it. I knew you would do this. I knew that you are gracious and kind and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew that you relent from disaster. But Jonah's like, why, God? Why did you have to be kind and gracious to them? Why did you have to relent from disaster from that nation? They they deserved it. Why did you show mercy to them? They are too bad. They deserve to be punished. They are evil. They didn't deserve it. And yet God shows them mercy. Jonah here is scandalized by God's grace. And I think that if you get grace, like if you wrap your head around grace, you will be scandalized by it too because grace is scandalous. Grace is outrageous. That is grace by definition. Grace is totally unmerited favor. Grace is totally unearned blessing, undeserved love and affection and and grace and mercy. This is what God is. Grace is unfair. They don't deserve it. And that's why grace is so amazing. Grace is never, ever something that you deserve. It is all a gift. And guys, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. In Ephesians 2 verse 9, It says this, the Apostle Paul writes this, salvation is a free gift, not a result of our own works so that no one can boast. This is the grace of God. We haven't done anything to earn it. We haven't deserved it. Religion said, here's a checklist that you can check in order to get into God's good books. Here is a a, a ladder. You can climb the rungs in order to work your way up to God. If only you do these things, chant, pray, meditate, fill in the blanks. If only you do that, then God will love you. Work hard enough, walk enough old ladies across the road, and maybe, just maybe, God will love you. But the problem with that is that we will never, um, we all fall short. We will never reach the mark needed to be good enough for God's perfect standard. And yet because of the cross, because of Jesus, that monumental moment in history where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, died in our place, took upon himself in his body the sins of the world. He died our death. He was raised to life. Anyone and everyone can receive the free gift of God's grace. Let me say that is good news. We don't earn it. We can't deserve it. 
It is a gift that we just unwrap. Grace alone through faith alone. By God's lavish and scandalous grace, we get set free from our past. We get free from condemnation. We get free from the power of sin. We get free from the penalty of sin. We get placed into a family, given a home, given an eternal hope and future. We get full access to our heavenly Father and um, uh, through Jesus and through Christ and Christ alone. It's all grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. You don't deserve it and I don't deserve it. This is grace. And it's scandalous and it seems unfair and it's hard to wrap our head around. Grace can be messy at times. Grace seems unfair. So often we want grace for ourselves and judgment for others. We want grace for ourselves and others to be punished. Jonah is like this. He says, no, 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 God, this is not fair. They've not earned your mercy. They haven't earned it, so they need to be punished. But Jonah essentially is saying, but I have earned it, God. I do deserve it. He was full of pride. When Jonah looked at himself, he saw maybe his list of righteous deeds. He saw his list of good works, that he was the man of God, the prophet. He saw a life which in his mind had pleased God and earned God's love and affection. And then he looked and he saw them, the other, the the foreigner, the Ninevites, the outsider, the different, the nation which wasn't part of God's chosen people. They were evil. They were far away. God can't love them and be merciful to them. Tim Keller, in his brilliant book, The Prodigal Prophet, which John actually set up as one of the 12 books he was encouraging us to read this year, he argues that Jonah's main issue with Nineveh is not actually down to a justice issue or righteousness issue. It is down actually to racial prejudice. Jonah was looking at this other people and saying, they are outsiders, they are not part of God's chosen people like I am. They're not one of us. And as we come to the end of Jonah, this brings an important message to us as a church in this season. We must never, ever adopt an us and them mentality church with our city. We must always remember God's heart is with those that are far away. God's heart is with those that are marginalized and those that are oppressed. God has a special place in his heart for the poor, for the disenfranchised, for the sick, for the broken, for, for the foreigner, for the orphan, for the widow. Church isn't a club that you belong to. It's a family that always has room for one more. God's kingdom isn't about hanging out with the same people who look like you and sound like you and smell like you. God's kingdom is for everyone, for the disadvantaged and the marginalized, for the foreigner, the widow, the lame, the broken, the sick, those struggling with mental health issues, those struggling with identity issues. You have a home here. This is our heart as a church that we would fling wide the doors of our community and invite our city to come home. Jonah wanted to shut the doors of his world and not allow anyone in. I think the key to not being like Jonah is kind of to live out the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, where he says, look, Jesus says, why do you look at the, the speck of dust in someone else's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye? May we be obsessed with dealing with us 
and our stuff and not be obsessed with other people's issues and other people's sins. I think that is a wonderful piece of wisdom to live by. Another thing to say on this is as we grow as a church, things are going to get messy. We're going to have people coming in and we're going to be reaching people that don't look like us, that don't have it all together. And that is a good thing. If we are not seeing people meet Jesus that um, don't, that aren't Christians, that aren't from a Christian background, that don't have, never read the Bible, then we're not doing our job right. We are not being the church. We exist for those people. We exist for our city. We exist for the far off. And this has to be our heart. Another interesting observation from this passage in Jonah's anger is, so Jonah's anger kind of comes from a place of thinking that his judgments, his calls are better than God's. In other words, he's right and God is wrong. He's maybe angry that God disagrees with him. Have you ever read anything in the Bible that you disagree with or that you think, I wouldn't do that if I were God? If you've not, I wonder if you've been reading the Bible enough. Um, I'm sure all of us have stumbled across things that we're like, wow, I don't get that. That challenges me. That provokes me. I disagree with that. We will all come across those moments. And a great question to ask is, what do we do when we face something in the Bible when we're confronted or offended or provoked? Do we think God's wrong, the Bible's wrong, and, and little I'm right? Or do we think, man, this is an opportunity here to maybe realign my life to God's perfect truth. Tim Keller, he famously said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Challenging. Jonah was offended by God's mercy. Sometimes God offends the mind to reach a heart. And God was teaching Jonah a powerful lesson about mercy and compassion, and that God's love is for the whole world, not just the inner circle. Let's move on to verse 4. The Lord said to Jonah, the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Um, have you any right to be angry? Notice the tone of this verse, the gentle fatherly correction and challenge. Verse 5, then Jonah left the city and sat down east of it, where he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Maybe God will change his mind. Verse 6, so the Lord God appointed a vine. Here we come to some interesting verses. God appointed a vine and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. See the emotional roller coaster that Jonah is on. Firstly, he's absolutely furious. Then he's suicidal. Now he's exceedingly glad. He's delighted. He's ecstatic. Think about that for a moment. As God provides a plant for Jonah, he rejoices with joy. But as God provides salvation for a nation, Jonah is furious. Hold that in your mind. Verse 7. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so it withered. We often think of Jonah as the story of Jonah and the whale, as it's said, but uh, we never think about it as Jonah and the little worm. So God appointed a worm, first a big fish in Jonah chapter 1, and now a small worm. Verse 8, 
As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and wished to die, saying, it is better for me to die than to live. We are back in depression now with Jonah. Notice, guys, how often through the story of Jonah, we see God appointing things. God sends the storm, then he sends the fish, then he appoints the worm, then he causes the plant to grow, then the worm, now a scorching east wind. Throughout the book of Jonah, we see this theme time and time again, the theme of the sovereignty of God. Great quote from James Hardy Kennedy said this, the pervading theme of Jonah is providential control. From the beginning to the end, the book is a portrayal of providential control. Indeed, the story is developed step by step towards the climax by means of several crucial turning points, each of which introduces a separate act or scene dramatically marked by providential work of God. Yvonne Sherwood said that the God of Jonah is an irresistible force and a master of strategic planning. I don't think we've ever been in a time where we need to hear that God is in control, that God is sovereign. One of the things that I think we've learned over the last 15 months of the pandemic is that we are not in control. We are not in control. And some of you need today to know and to hear again that God is in control. God is above all things. God is beyond all things. He is in control and he's bigger than you think. He never violates our free will as we see in Jonah, yet he is sovereign over all things. Some things he sends like the storm, some things he allows like a pandemic, and yet he's totally sovereign. Throughout our lives, throughout the scriptures, God is the master builder. He's the great strategist. He is the great orchestrator. He's the ultimate sustainer of life and the one true provider. We are not in control, guys, but he is. And that's something to cling on to when we are feeling overwhelmed. If you're feeling today out of control, if you are feeling afraid, if you are feeling worried, if you are feeling anxious, I want to encourage you to trust in the God of the land and sea. He is moving the chess pieces of your life into position, ready for an incredible future. God is working all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that is something to look forward to. God is in control. Verse 9, let's move on. Jonah asks, God asks Jonah, have you any right to be angry about the plant? Second time God asks this fatherly question. I do, he replied. I am angry enough to die. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you neither tended nor made grow. It sprang up in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, so should I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. I love that God cares about the cattle, cares about animals. Anyway, that's another sermon. Um, And here we come right now, guys, to the pinnacle of the story and the finish, an unanswered question. Should I not care about the city of Nineveh? It's an unanswered question. We never know how Jonah responds to it. It's a challenging question. If I were Jonah, I don't know if I'd have a great answer to that. But the reason it's left unanswered is because the author essentially wants us to answer it. We are being asked 
that very same question. And here we see in this passage, these few verses, God teaching Jonah a lesson through a worm, a divinely appointed worm. Firstly, he sends a plant which protects and comforts and brings great joy and and warmth to Jonah. And then he takes the plant away, which sends Jonah into a state of despair. And this is God's message. This is what we're going to finish on. This is what God says to Jonah. You care about the plant, but you don't care about the people. You care about your temporary suffering as the scorching wind came and the sun beat down, but you don't care about the eternal suffering of 120,000 people. You care about your comfort, your easy life, the nice shade, your environment, and yet you are immune, Jonah, and oblivious to the lostness and the struggle and the brokenness of a city that needs to know God. If I was Jonah, I wouldn't have an answer to that. But we are being asked that very same question. It's a question that we have been talking about since the start of this pandemic. Are we awake to God's heart for our city? Are we living close enough to God to catch his burden for the lost, his burden for the sick and for the poor? Are we living with God's compassion and care at the forefront of everything we do, or are we obsessed with simply ourselves and our rights and our entitlement and our little bit of comfort in this life? It's been an amazing journey through Jonah and this question we are left with, what are we going to do with this? Are we going to return to the Lord? Are we going to sit at his feet one more time, hear his voice, spend time cultivating intimacy and communion. And from that place, filled with the heart of God, filled with compassion, filled with justice and mercy and grace, model that slow to anger, uh, compassionate heart that God has to a city which is so desperately in need of it. Or will we be like Jonah, which is kind of the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son who, who just looks at himself. He looks at others. He says they don't deserve that. How can you be so merciful? But I want to encourage us today, if we are seeing in our future revival for our city, if we are seeing thousands come to know Jesus, we have to be people whose hearts are for the broken, whose hearts are for those in need, who are close to God and close to our city, who return to God and pray in revival, who invite our city to come home. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.